you know, it was great timing in terms of, especially in the smaller towns, communities throughout the country, a lot of them didn't have what would eventually be termed a, a multiplex movie theater experience in those size towns. And a lot of them did have bowling alleys. And that was the central form of entertainment in a lot of these rural, more small town America. And we saw that transitioning over to the movie theater space and and wanted to take advantage of, of the growth opportunities. And a lot of it was centered early on in mid-sized, small, more rural communities that were really excited about you know, bringing that multiplex movie theater experience into their communities. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition since 1920. In this week's episode, we are joined by Rebecca Polly, deputy editor at Box Office Pro, and Jesse Rifkin, our box office analyst here at Box Office Pro. We've got a full slate of topics to go over this weekend, including the results of the Thanksgiving holiday frame here in North America. We'll be going over how that stacked up to previous years here in the recent history of a pandemic-stricken box office. We'll also be going over the upcoming releases this weekend at the box office. And in our feature segment, I'll be speaking with Jeff Geiger, the CEO of NCG, Neighborhood Cinema Group, a regional circuit here in the United States, looking at some locations and coming in to create modern multiplexes for local communities all over the country. It's a great story that is coming up in our feature segment. But before we get there, Jesse, Rebecca, how was your weekend? Did you guys travel? Did you guys see family? And I have to ask if you went to the movies during this popular movie-going weekend. Well, to answer your first question, I stayed in town. I actually caught Black Panther for the first time a few days before Thanksgiving. It was a day I took off work. I think I was probably watching it while you were recording last week's podcast. So you were working while we were working. Basically, I caught it at the Nighthawk because I'd previously been to see another uh, kind of specialty screening. And then lo and behold, the next day I get an email in my inbox. You buy one, get one free ticket for during the weekday. Like, heck yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Bogos are good. But I love a BOGO. I love a BOGO. It got me there. No, we've got discount tickets all over the place. AMC is doing $5 Tuesdays through the end of the year. Those are great initiatives. I'm glad you took advantage. I wanted to see it again in ScreenX yesterday, but it was horrifically cold and dreary and it was just one of those days when you need to stay inside and in sweater. So not a good movie going day. No. How about you, Jesse? What did you catch over the weekend? And did you stay? You're based in Washington, DC. Did you stay? Did you go? What did you see? No, I went to New England to visit family and I'm actually still there a few days after Thanksgiving where I'm taping the podcast with you guys now. Yes, I went to see Glass Onion on Friday. Really enjoyed it just as much as Knives Out. I'd give them somewhere around the same rating, probably a uh, high eight out of 10, I would say. And I thought it was a great in-theater experience too. And I'm glad you were able to catch that in theaters because if you hadn't over this last weekend, you would have to wait like the rest of the world about a month before this film is available on Netflix. Jesse, you and I were talking about this before we started recording that they're not really making a big deal about it being in theaters. There's the Paris Theater here in New York, which Netflix, I believe, four walls. You know, they could have made a big deal about it, it premiering there. It did not even screen there at the theater that plays Netflix movies more than any other in New York City. I mean, I get the impression that they want people to realize it's good from word of mouth after the week is over. And then golly gee, they have no choice but to watch it on Netflix. I mean, in their most recent investor interview, basically 
that is what executives said. Exactly. So they they could have done more with it, but I don't know if they wanted to. Speaking of streamers, Daniel, I know there was a story over last week that you hear Amazon, theatrical, and $1 billion in the same sentence, and you try to figure out what's going on. I know you spent a lot of time trying to separate the rumor from what we can actually confirm. So what's the Amazon deal? Yeah, so this was a tricky story. Lucas Shaw over at Bloomberg broke uh, an exclusive saying that according to unnamed sources, quote, familiar with the matter, Amazon Studios is preparing to invest $1 billion in a theatrical slate next year, which would probably look something like a 12 to 15 film slate, which we're talking about a significant output. Lucas is a fantastic journalist, you know, but in our job, we can't take someone's word for it. We went out there to confirm this story from Amazon. I haven't seen any other trade be able to confirm this information. This looks like a scoop from Bloomberg, which is great for them, but we cannot responsibly say that this is something that the company has confirmed at this point. We haven't been able to confirm this story independently, but you know, anyone that is familiar with Bloomberg's reporting knows that they usually don't come out with something unless they feel fairly confident with it. So we'll take their word for now. It'll be a very interesting 2023. As we see a larger trend, guys, of companies that were a lot more streaming focused, dipping their toe, not toe, at this point, ankle, in the theatrical waters, Netflix working with major circuits with Glass Onion this weekend. Amazon has been working with major circuits now for the past couple of years. We've got companies like Warner Brothers now basically under new management admitting that the streaming first strategy did not work. And hey, the Disney news that came out last week with Bob Iger coming back to the studio, especially on the back of a streaming app that doesn't really show the growth to get Wall Street excited. Yeah, Daniel, like you mentioned, all these companies are kind of taking steps towards whatever the future of exhibition is going to look like. The industry as a whole is still uh, taking strides to recover from the pandemic. So Jesse, this Thanksgiving weekend, comparison to previous years, COVID years, non-COVID years, what are we looking at? Yeah, so the the total box office for this Thanksgiving weekend, it was around $91, $92 million. That's about 5% below the Thanksgiving weekend last year, oh, 2021. No. no. Yeah. A little, mm. Yes. Well, sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Oh, but, boy. But you invited me well, on. Yeah, I want to know what the breakdown is of like the percentage of the top five that is, you know, was it concentrated on more films, fewer films? Like what happened aside from Strange World tanking? Well, it was sort of the new releases tanking. So the top film this weekend made a lot more than the top film in Thanksgiving weekend last year. The top one this weekend was Wakanda Forever, which still led in its third frame. The top one in Thanksgiving weekend last year was Encanto. So the number one to number one film comparison edge goes to this year. The number two, number three, number four, number five films, that's where it starts to be the edge to last year. And the box office for this Thanksgiving weekend compared to Thanksgiving weekend in 2019, the last pre-pandemic year, it's a... A lot worse. Hate to break it to you, Daniel, if you didn't even like the minus 5% below stat that I gave you before. It was minus 49% below, but it's not exactly fair. It was up against Frozen 2, one of the biggest right. films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a very different world back then, a very different slate. But it looks like Strange World underperforming as poorly as it did really, really dropped the ball here when we look at the big picture. Now, there is a data point that we can compare this cleanly to. Disney also opened Encanto over the same weekend last year. What's the comparison here? 
Yeah, the comparison is not favorable to Strange World. Strange World made about $12 million over the three-day weekend. So again, that means Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Made about 18 or $19 million over the extended five days. That is to say the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. By comparison, Encanto made more in its three-day opening than Strange World did in its five-day opening. And it actually gets even worse. You could, It made less than some Disney Thanksgiving weekend openings in from the 90s, including A Bug's Life in 98 and Toy Story in 95. Very, very disappointing numbers. The sort of numbers that usually happen right around a time when a CEO leaves the company to be replaced by the last guy that ran it, that put the studio in first place. Looking at the rankings here for the year so far, Jesse, we've been accustomed to seeing Disney as the number one studio in North America in terms of box office. Give us a big picture here. What does Disney look like this year in 2022 in North America? So right now, they are number three. Number one is Universal, and number two is Paramount. Something like half of Paramount's earnings this year have come from uh, Top Gun Maverick alone. So the numbers are Universal's at about $1.4 billion, Paramount's at about $1.3. Disney's closing in on $1.3. We'll probably pass Paramount for the number two spot probably within the next week, actually. Universal might still be a little bit out of reach for the number one spot, though. Leaving it late over at Disney, something we're not used to seeing again, but... Hey, uh, I think they're paying for the mistakes of the pandemic, and we can only sit here and say, we told you so. That's it. Not even, we can't even gloat about it. They're putting films on streaming. Their big new streaming release on Disney Plus this week was Disenchanted with Amy Adams, a sequel to Enchanted from back in the 2000s, which was a hit. And people have been waiting for that sequel forever. That could have been like a gentle minions equivalent to people who were kids when they saw the first one getting really <laughs> pumped to go see the second one now that they're young adults, but alas. Hey, missed opportunities left and right, prioritizing those digital numbers. Everybody else in this industry is looking at these results. So is Wall Street and no one's impressed. I think the timing here for Iger to come in and really just revert this company back on the right course is something that would be good for the entire industry. He needed a little bit more pressure to be put on Avatar The Way of Water to perform. I don't feel like the pressure was quite high enough. Wow. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Rebecca. At this point, Disney's looking at that release, and I don't think anyone is sleeping very soundly at those Burbank offices these days with that very loaded release coming up in a couple of weeks. Now, talking about streaming, talking about sequels, it's not Disenchanted, but it is a sequel to a theatrical hit that came out a couple of years ago, Glass Onion, a Knives Out sequel, as we mentioned at the start of the podcast. That went out at around 600 plus screens here in North America. Not exactly a wide release, basically a, a nice limited release, I think, if we, if we say it how it is. Jesse... Looking at that 9.4 million over the weekend that the title made that put it in third place doesn't tell the whole story because we can't really compare in terms of screen count how this made to where Knives Out was in a per screen average basis. So let's use that per screen average, that PSA as a comparison point. How did this sequel perform theatrically? Better. About 70% higher, in fact. Glass Onions per theater average was a little bit above 13,000. Uh, Knives Out was closer to 7,700. Now, for the rest of the market, you would imagine a movie like this, which is one of the best-reviewed movies that has a wide appeal that have come out this year, if you're looking at the numbers coming from both Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, with the fan anticipation coming out of three years of the original Knives Out, 
How does it rank in terms of per screen averages of 2022? That not as well. It has the number 41 highest per screen average of the year. Given the fact that there's still another month of the year, by New Year's Eve, it might be somewhere closer to the number 50 or so average of the year, which is not great. Yeah. So it's good in context here of improving upon the original, which I think is a very different story. It doesn't have the fan appeal or anticipation that this one has. But in terms of an overall performance, I hate to say it, Glass Onion is not the silver bullet that Exhibition wanted it to be. It's unfortunate, and especially as we also look at what Sony's wide release over the weekend made, 5.9 million for Devotion. All in all, this weekend has to be seen as a failure. We have to say it in these terms. We have to look at this Thanksgiving frame and learn from it and make a post-mortem so we don't end up in this position next year. Really unfortunate. Next weekend won't be much better, unfortunately. Though we have a couple of movies that, Rebecca, you and I have seen and liked. We've got Women Talking from Sarah Pauly, more on the art house side of things. That's Opening Limited from United Artists Releasing. I really enjoyed that title. You saw Violent Night. I like it. That's Opening Wide from Universal. Yeah. You think that's going to perform? You think there's a potential there? Yeah, Daniel, you know, I had a a good time with it. (laughs) I think it will be like a decent counter-programming option for people who don't want something Disney, don't want something that's, for lack of a better term, a dad movie. You know, it is R-rated, it is violent, it's directed by Tommy Ricola, who has a reputation for just, like, balls-to-the-wall, insane action sequences. And it takes a little time for the movie to get there, but they are some insane good action sequences. So I think those are the, probably the two highest-profile releases as we approach that December 16 opening weekend of Avatar The Way of Water. And you'll be hearing a lot more about that latter title from James Cameron in next week's podcast episode. But now, Rebecca, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. Let's head over to our interview with NCG CEO Jeff Geiger, who will be providing the perspective of exhibition, especially as we cover from the pandemic, where the industry is, where his circuit, which specializes in bringing modern multiplexes to local communities, how they've been faring with this recovery. That's coming up after the break. Fathom Events is the recognized leader in event cinema and one of the top distributors of content to movie theaters globally. At Fathom, our slate of offerings include live performances from the Metropolitan Opera, iconic cinema releases with TCM's big screen classic series, top grossing documentaries, award-winning anime films as part of Studio Ghibli Fest, and a full offering of faith-based programming. Featured events on the horizon include the debut of Season 3, Episodes 1 and 2 of the hit series The Chosen, the story of Longfellow's famous poem I Heard the Bells, and the pivotal documentary Johnny Cash, Redemption of an American Hero. Fathom is your go-to partner for a successful event cinema experience. Go to fathomevents.com for more details. And we're back here on the Box Office Podcast with Jeff Geiger, the CEO of NCG, Neighborhood Cinemas Group, which operates a number of theaters here in the United States, usually known as a regional circuit in Michigan, but that's a bit unfair to qualify it as such. You guys really have more of a, let's call it a national presence, because it's not really concentrated in any specific region, right, Jeff? No, we're not. Obviously, we started in Michigan and we were mainly, our growth was through the Midwest, but we've definitely transitioned to a a southeast 
presence. And uh, we like to consider ourselves two segments of Midwest and Southeast, even though we do have an outlier over there in New York. But uh, yeah, we've continued to grow and continue to expand geographically. Could you take us back to when your family got into exhibition and how that concept grew over the years? Sure. So we've been in the business since 1985. My father, Garrett Geiger, he was actually in the bowling business with his father through the early 60s and 70s. So they were drawn to the entertainment business and uh, bowling in its heyday was was very much that. And we were operating a bowling alley in in Owasso, Michigan, a small town in in mid-Michigan. And And the city was really putting together a push to bring a movie theater to the town. And it just, it caught my father's ear and it seemed to fall in line with what kind of excited him about being an entrepreneur and and business. And and he decided to go for it. Him and his father, you know, worked out the details and they built Owasso 3 Cinemas. And it was kind of the start of a new transition into movie theaters. And eventually they ended up selling the bowling business and transitioned the entire operation to focus purely on movie theaters. And those two businesses are so complementary when we look at the history of entertainment in small and medium-sized cities here in the United States. They're a big staple of what to do on a weekend when you're not in a huge urban area. And I love that this was a business venture that the community itself went to your father and basically said, hey, you're a local entrepreneur. You're good at this. We want a movie theater. How can you help us? Yeah, there's no question. And, and, you know, it was great timing in terms of, especially in the smaller towns, communities throughout the country, a lot of them didn't have what would eventually be termed a, a multiplex movie theater experience in those size towns. And a lot of them did have bowling alleys. And that was the central form of entertainment in a lot of these rural, more small town America. And we saw that transitioning over to the movie theater space. And and wanted to take advantage of, of the growth opportunities. And a lot of it was centered early on in mid-sized, small, more rural communities that were really excited about you know, bringing that multiplex movie theater experience into their communities. And that was the start of the company. You're going to local communities in the Michigan area, looking at opportunities of places that maybe they had a bowling alley, maybe those numbers aren't what they used to be. And those communities are looking to install movie theaters. Can you take me back to those years and and go over your memories of uh, how those early years for the business was like? Yeah, I have fond memories. I was quite young. I was a child at that point, but I still have vivid memories of the bowling business and then have very you know strong memories of Owasso Cinema's opening. And at that point, it was a red carpet event. Everyone in town... They did a black tie event the night of the grand opening. It was very much, you know, show business. And it was uh, an exotic form of entertainment at that point, just to go and experience the, you know, the movies and the magic of movies on the screen. It was something people were really drawn to. And I just remember the buzz of being in the lobbies, you know, full of people on the, the big premiere Friday nights at that time. And it was an exciting time and the content and the movies that were coming out. It wasn't like now, you know, we have so much content that comes out on a regular basis. You know, we would get about one new movie a month back in those days. And, and hence why you only needed three screens. I and mean, we could play just about everything that came out just on three screens and keep it for a full run. So once a month, it was a big deal to get the new big movie. Yeah, the way you describe it, Jeff, really reminds me of a moment in my own childhood. I remember I was about 10 years old in 1995 when my family moved to Battle Creek, Michigan for a year. 
And we had to drive over to Kalamazoo, which wasn't a long drive, but it was still a drive. You had to go to another city to go to the movies. And in 1995, in the Lakeview Square Mall, the first multiplex in Battle Creek opened. At least I think it was the first multiplex, at least in 1995. That was the, the big event. And that was huge. I mean, I remember going to see movies like Jumanji, the 1995 version with Robin Williams there, and it being just a big, big moment for the community. What I love about NCG is that that commitment to go into communities and be their exhibitor partner continues today. And not only inside of Michigan, even outside of it. You mentioned the Kingston, New York location. I actually go there with my wife about once a year. And NCG is right there. That's another example of a town having a space for a movie theater looking for a partner. And NCG over the decades has been a loyal and trusted partner of coming in and operating those local movie theaters, including the Battle Creek, Michigan movie theater that I remember from my childhood in 1995. That is an NCG location today. And those are two perfect examples of the more modern NCG stands for Neighborhood Cinema Group. And we really embrace that. We feel like, you know, every neighborhood should have access to premium quality movies. And obviously over the course of time, you know, there's been movie theaters and that we've been able to reoccupy that we felt like weren't bringing that premium experience and, and bring in luxury seating, you know, different concessions, just an overall ambiance into the lobbies and the space that is, we feel like on par with any city or any theater anywhere in the country. And we pride ourselves in bringing that to these communities. And you talk about introducing concepts. It starts with introducing a multiplex concept. So if you're going into a local Michigan community in the 80s, they maybe have a single screen, maybe they have a twin, but you start in the 1980s as bringing in the multiplex model. That innovation continues today. What are some of these modern concepts that you're introducing through your locations? Well, it's more than just the concept. It's, it's the whole experience. We talk a lot at NCG about that we're, we provide a two-hour vacation. And, and so we look at the whole experience in that way that, all right, from the time that our customers or our neighbors, as we refer to them, decide to want to go or even consider going to a movie maybe this coming weekend with their children, what's the online experience? What's the ticket purchasing experience? What's the experience, obviously, as you come into the lobby, the concessions, the customer flow, the greeting, obviously the presentation, the seating has become transformed hugely, especially over the last five years with the introduction of, of recliners and, you know, just the enhanced concessions with beer and wine and enhanced food offerings. You know, we feel like the needle has moved significantly in the way of the experience that people want. And People still do desire that, you know, we, we're very open and honest with the idea that there's a lot of great content on a lot of different platforms, but we feel like we can still provide an experience that is exclusive to going to the movies. And as I even look back and, and think about my experience in the United States in that one year in 1995 in Battle Creek, Michigan, a lot of the things that we associate with neighborhoods in the United States today, even if you think of it from like an ethnic food situation, now you can find sushi in nearly every community in the U.S., right? In the 1990s, that wasn't the case. Thai food is arguably just as much of a suburban American staple today as, you know, the local diner. As you introduce concepts like luxury seating or like alcohol service, enhanced menus and movie theaters, how have they been welcomed in your neighborhood cinemas? 
everything new within reason has been very welcome. And it usually, you know, you see these trends start in the large, larger cities, larger demographics. And that's what we watch the closest. And that's where we pull our ideas from. And we feel like anything that works in, in a big metropolitan will work in our, you know, neighborhood communities that we're in. And we've proven that out. The luxury seating is a prime example, obviously. At this point, everyone is pretty familiar with the concept of luxury seating, but you'd be shocked how many mid to small communities don't have that experience still to you know today. And we have found bringing that experience to smaller communities is very positive. And talking about the slate and smaller communities and different audiences around the country, of course, we're coming right now in a position where we, in theory, have more movies coming out. It doesn't really feel like it every quarter, unfortunately. But how are you looking at the box office on your side of the equation? Because obviously what's happening in New York and L.A. in terms of uh, DMAs, that tells part of the story. Are your audiences getting the sort of movies that they want to watch in theaters? Well, as you know, we've just been through an incredible time period in our industry, obviously related to the COVID pandemic and the shutdowns that we saw you know, across the country and just having to manage through that. And then moving forward to the content and they were able to test, you know, day and date, simultaneous release, different models that have been talked about uh, in concept for many, many years. And they were actually able to put it into practice. And as we sit today, obviously, we went through a year, 2022, and even just this last quarter, that content is lacking right now. Now, we do truly believe that a lot of that is a product of production delays, because what we're seeing is incredible demand when we have good content, when we have good, well-marketed movies, and when we have a variety of genres they're overperforming in our markets and we're confident that that content and the number of movies being released annually on the big screen is going to get back to the more norms of the 2019 levels and we'll be right back. Have you experimented with forms of alternative content like event cinema or maybe with esports and gaming? And now that you have to get a little bit more creative than just relying on studio partners, what avenues have you tested out in your theaters? Yeah, I think there's a lot of momentum to go to alternative type content, which has been around for a long time. I mean, many, many years, but I, I feel like now moving forward, there's more attention, more focus. I think the quality of alternative content that we're bringing in is really important. And we're seeing some of that now. The gaming, I hope to see that continue to grow. I think that's an avenue that we'll be able to test and hopefully grow. But, you know, just even last weekend, we had a a live Coldplay concert in a lot of our theaters and it did tremendously well. We sold out auditoriums that we were playing this. So it, it really opens the door to these live concert live, all sorts of different alternative content that I think people are really going to you know, seek. And of course, getting to the content is part of the equation. The other big revolution that probably coincides with your tenure as an executive at your family's company is the rise of digital ticketing, the rise of SEO, the rise of having 
a website. When your father was leading the company, it was all about getting your showtimes in the local newspaper, getting that ad out there. Having your movie theater seen by your local community is now something that's completely online. How have you managed that transition? What's been your experience in having that digital presence that you need to remain competitive? Well, really, even a lot of this even took place over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, we've really leaned into the digital online customer experience. We're going to be launching a new new website here in the next, you know, four or five months that's going to give us, you know, have all the bells and whistles to do, obviously, a customer attraction, but also the enhanced customer experience on the site through the app with concessions. You know, we're going to be remodeling lobbies to have direct pickup, order food on the app, paid for, pick it up and straight into the auditorium. And yeah, the customer flow and overall customer experience is going to be, we feel like really heightened by the technologies that we're going to be rolling out. Yeah. And and that digital process of going in that ticketing journey, I think is something that is so, I hate to say it, new, because obviously e-commerce has, has been around for a while, but it's a transition that you're not alone in making. I think a lot of cinema groups are really investing more and more into this technology. Now, I have to say it because a lot of my older acquaintances, maybe of different generations, have had a little bit of trouble adapting to concepts like reserved seating, for example, or they're used to going and buying a ticket at the box office and picking their seat. When you're working in the markets that you're working in, has it been difficult to introduce these concepts or how do you help educate maybe older moviegoers and saying, hey, you know what, you're used to walking up 10 minutes before a showtime and picking your seat. Now it's not first come, first serve anymore. How has that worked through your circuit? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's been difficult. I think you nailed it in that it's an education process and educating the customers of change, which is always, there's a... You know, there's a curve of accepting change. And that's what we've seen, especially, you know, recently with some bringing on some new technologies. We we did go to 100 percent reserve seating across the, in our entire circuit. And trust me, there are some communities, some smaller communities that it was shocking to some of our customers. And, and we're still having to educate and go through some of that. But once you've been through the process and the customer base is, has experienced it and becomes comfortable with the format, it's accepted very well. I mean, they quickly realize that the convenience is there to be able to choose your ticket and your seat in advance is truly a convenience. And another big transition that I think the industry has done in the last decade or so are loyalty programs. NCG launched its own loyalty program, My NCG Rewards. Can you tell me about what led to that decision and what having your own loyalty program has meant for your circuit in terms of marketing to your best clients? Yeah, the loyalty, like you said, has become our marketing platform. It's our best way to connect with our loyal customers. It's our best way to communicate with them. It's the best way to offer deals for a reason to come back, maybe for one more visit or two more visits over the course of a year. And it's, it's really become significant. A majority of our marketing attention and time and energy is being put towards our loyal customer base and through our loyalty program. As we also look at the aspects that bring in moviegoers, that get people excited to go to the movie going experience. One of the big aspects that keeps on coming on my mind is that the industry seems to be pushed in two different directions. Sometimes there is the push to going premium 
going out and getting your own premium large format screen, either through a third party partner or through your own brand, or making sure that your pricing doesn't become a barrier to entry to a lot of folks, especially during this tricky economic time. I think it's something that our colleague Rolando Rodriguez, the chairman of the National Association of Theater Owners, has said in the past that a $10 latte is not a problem in Chicago. It's not a problem in New York City. Outside of those cities, a $10 coffee is an issue, and we have to look at movie theater pricing the same way. How has your circuit approached that pricing question when there seem to be two different directions that everyone's trying to go through at the same time? It is a balance, and um, we've attacked it different ways in different communities. But you brought up in Kingston, New York, as a prime example of where we feel like we were trying to live in both worlds a little bit, and we have both luxury recliners and what we call our standard seating. So, I mean, we offer a approximately $10 price point for what would be a standard ticket, or you can upgrade for generally about $2.50 to a, a VIP experience, which would be in a, in a luxury recliner. And these live in the same auditorium. So it gives the choice to the customer and we see a difference. There's a lot of customers that are more price conscious and they want that standard seat and they're they're very satisfied. It's still a wonderful seat. And then there's a lot of our customers that don't blink an eye at upgrading to the luxury recliner and they're really happy there too. So we've approached it trying to give the customer the choice and we've now rolled that out through a number of our theaters across the country and it's been well received. And that's such an interesting concept for me. It's two different seating zones in an auditorium one at a premium price point and one that still welcomes your general audience without pricing anyone out of a specific showtime. I think that's going to be one of those strategies that might get a lot of traction next year as more circuits like your own start to see the data behind what these initiatives bring. Looking to the future, Jeff, there's a lot of challenges coming up, I think, for the business, but there's also a lot of opportunities. What are the factors that get you a little bit worried in the next five years? And what are the opportunities that you think are things that really the industry should be jumping at to make sure that we can succeed and not only get to those pre-COVID levels, but exceed them? Yeah, so two parts. I'll start with the worry. Anyone in business has their worries about what the future holds. And ours are you know, on display you know, and articles are written vastly about what the worries are of the, the movie theater experience. And it relates directly to content. Obviously, we're in a partnership with Hollywood Studios to provide us great content to put on our screens. And I truly believe in the theatrical experience. And I, I believe the numbers that, that we are able to produce when great content comes out justifies the future of the movie experience. But that's a constant negotiation and battle with the Hollywood studios that now have multiple platforms that they're, they need a lot of content and they have a lot of customers to satisfy. So the content is the biggest worry. I mean, I have faith that we will be very relevant and have great content for, for many, many years. It's just you know, how much content on an annual basis is probably my biggest worry. The opportunity, I see tremendous opportunity, I'd say. I think the price and affordability is both a worry and an opportunity. I think us as an industry, we should always look to maintain an affordability to our overall experience in terms of going to the movies. I think that's important. 
We see it as an opportunity at NCG to, to either enter markets or to remain viable in markets that we're in is just making it affordable. But the other opportunity is the overall experience. I think, again, as an industry, I think it's important that we embrace how important it is that we deliver. It doesn't have to be a premium experience, but it's a quality experience that it's going to be you know, leaving behind some of the stereotypes that our industry has accumulated over the years and, and making sure it's fun, it's vibrant, it's clean, and it's just an overall good experience no matter where they go to see a movie. That sticky floor, dirty carpet cliche that always seems to pop up. I think it's written by people that haven't gone to a movie theater in 15 years. It's just something that we all have to get in and make sure that we rectify that narrative. I agree. It's time to do away with it. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your time. That is Jeff Geiger, the CEO of Neighborhood Cinema Group. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks again to Jeff Geiger, the CEO of NCG, for joining us in this week's episode. And thanks to this week's sponsor, Fathom Events, for their support of the Box Office Podcast. On behalf of Rebecca, Jesse, and myself, thank you again for listening. The Box Office Podcast is produced in collaboration by Box Office Pro, the Box Office Company, and Record Edit Podcast. New episodes every Thursday. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to listen to us in the coming week. We'll see you next weekend.